I try to think like, what is my ADHD superpower? Like what are the ways in which ADHD has like made my life better? And I'm like, I don't know. Like it's hard to really say that it has without a lot of bitterness. Cause like when I think about it, like I've lost a lot of friends, you know, and I've messed up a lot of things and it's cost me a lot of money. But what I can say is that it's absolutely possible to work with your ADHD to like get wherever you're trying to go. It might look a little different than what you thought it was going to look like, but I think there's like a huge amount of relief in learning that like ADHD doesn't have to be an impediment. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. Okay, let's jump right in with episode 45 in which I interviewed Dusty Chapura. Dusty is an AACC certified ADHD coach who lives in Abbotsford, BC, and she coaches people from all walks of life with ADHD and specializes in coaching pregnant people with ADHD. Dusty's interest in supporting people with ADHD during pregnancy began when she realized there were little to no resources that address the experience of having ADHD during pregnancy outside of confusing medical literature about medication and that many physicians did not agree about the use of stimulant-based medications during pregnancy or breastfeeding and that this was leading to further distress on the part of pregnant people with ADHD. In our interview, Dusty talks about being given the quote unquote, weird kid label and how that affected her identity growing up. And we talk about her experience as a musician with ADHD in her twenties. We also discuss hyperactive brains, oversharing, advocacy and boundaries, ADHD coaching, body doubling, and working with your ADHD. This was a wonderful conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So why don't you tell me how how long have you had ADHD and, and what kind of led up to your diagnosis? What were some of the signs in your own life that led to you thinking you had ADHD and getting a diagnosis? Oh, well, the, the question of how long I've had ADHD is probably forever. Well, yeah. yeah. But, um, <laughs> so it's interesting because I didn't get diagnosed until I was in my mid-20s. But the more I go back and I think about my childhood, the more I'm like, yep, 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 yeah. And I'm like, how did nobody see this, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I know how, I know how nobody saw it, but like, it's so clear to me and it's tough because I think, you know, if I had had that diagnosis in childhood, um, or I had people around me who, who kind of understood what that meant, I could have had a lot of, a lot of different experiences. Um, but I got diagnosed in my mid twenties and I'm not, I'm not sure that I, I'm not sure that I remember what led up to it. I had a partner at the time. And so my brother was diagnosed with ADHD as a child and his son has ADHD. I think I was talking to my partner about how my, it was pretty clear that my dad also had ADHD. Mm -hmm. And he was like, yeah, and you have ADHD. And I was like, no, I don't. He's like, yeah, you do. And I was like, no, are you, are you, are you serious? Are you kidding? <laughs> like, Yeah. Um, but the whole thing is that, you know, it's, it's that classic story of like, I just thought I was really bad. I just thought I had like very little self-discipline and that like everybody else could form habits and I couldn't, or everybody else could like make progress on the things they wanted to make progress on. And I had to like, you know, I, I just thought that was like normal or like switching, you know, sort of switching tasks as often as I did doing, taking on as many things as I did. I thought that was just the stuff of life and that everybody had to deal with that, you know? Yeah. I feel like that I have that had very similar experience, which was like, I, I oscillate back and forth between feeling like, 
I'm the only person who is struggling to this degree. I'm the only person who seems to be able, who seems to not be able to function in these certain situations, but at the same time, also feeling overwhelmingly like, doesn't everybody feel this way? Or doesn't everybody react this way? Yeah, kind of weirdly both at the same time, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, you know, I recently, my two best friends who I met in university and are really the only two people in my life that I've kept in touch with. And since I've been diagnosed, I've been talking more openly about my ADHD. Both of them are like, I'm pretty sure I have ADHD. And and I'm like, yeah, you do. Mostly because we're still friends. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. you know, the fact that we can stay friends together when we, you know, our friendships often are like, we don't talk for a year and then we pick up where we left off. I just recently, one of them had emailed me um, And he was like, I think I have ADHD. And I wrote back and I was like, "Uh, yeah, it's obvious. And then I spent like the next week thinking like, what does that even mean to somebody who's wondering if they have ADHD? (laughs) Like what, like for me, it was all the positive things that were about it. But I'm like, if you don't really understand what it is, that could come across as being such an insult. And I just remembered, I haven't followed up with him yet to see if how he felt about that. We totally have ADHD, Dar. I've never, I've never said to someone, I think you have ADHD and they don't have it. Right. Well, yeah, that's that's been such a big thing in my life since my diagnosis, which is, you know, evaluating every single person and realizing that every person I love, like every person I admire, like I'm like, do they have it? Like, because sometimes I, you know, I, I have such a hard time distinguishing between what is ADHD and what is just somebody who's quirky, bright, talented, you know, interesting. And I'm, I just sort of assume that anyone who is all of those things also must have ADHD. Well, and it makes sense too, right? Because again, like what you said about people still being friends, like you can only sort of keep people around if they like also kind of tend to flake out and like are really disorganized and change plans at the last minute. And then you're like, yeah, no, that's cool. And then you do it to them and they're like, no, that's fine. Right. And then you have other friends who are like neurotypical and you're like, Hey, I know we're supposed to hang out at five, but I just have to like stop and do this thing. It's 4.55 PM. So, um, I think I'll make it to the cafe, like maybe by 5.30. Do you want to come here and meet me instead? And those people will be like, what? (laughs) Like, and they won't put, they'll be like, no, right. They don't get it. Right. People with ADHD, I find are like so much more flexible because they get it. Right. So I've, I've definitely noticed that, you know, I don't think it's necessarily that it's like a weird coincidence. I I definitely think it is like, you guys do have a deeper understanding, you know, a similar way of being in the world. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So you were in your mid twenties. So how was your experience with school? Like grade school or like university? Both. I feel like women go in opposite directions. Either they were like really, really organized people pleasers or they just fell apart. Yeah. So I I had a really interesting experience because I um, was really smart in school. Like everyone's like, oh, were you a gifted kid? I don't know if I was a gifted kid because nobody was really paying that much attention. But I always got like straight A's, right? Like I never had, and I had sort of like areas where I did especially well, where I knew that I could like get a straight A on like 60% effort, right? Mm -hmm. If it was anything to do with like spelling, English writing, like I could nail it with my eyes closed. Um, So I did really well academically, um, but I had so many behavioral and social issues in school, which is interesting because we hear this a lot more, I think, about boys and um And I didn't have that sort of typical like, oh, she's like a daydreamer. She's just like quiet or whatever. I was like, oh, the one always being told to go sit back in my seat, like acting inappropriately, being hauled into the principal's office, getting suspended for like weird impulsive, you know, things that I did. 
Um, but I also grew up in a really unusual situation where I was like the only child of a gay couple in a small Northern town. And so I was like already ostracized from day one. And I just sort of chalked it all up to that, right? Like my parents were going through my, you know, biological parents were going through a divorce. And so, um, I think most people like most adults in my life, um, just kind of washed their hands of me because they were like, oh, there's that weird kid of that lesbian couple, they're all weird and I hate them. Right. Mm. Like, I, I think, I think there was like a lot of prejudice. And so that probably contributed to people being more, I think being more willing to see me as like a, a weird person because it was a very, very small community. So w- when I had a lot of behavioral difficulties, like nobody ever tried to figure out what was going on with them or what was going on with me. They, I just got in trouble. Right. So I, I had a tough time in, in school because I didn't have any friends and because I was like getting bullied and acting out, but I was getting really good grades. And yeah, it's really weird that nobody thought that was weird. Right. That no one's like, Oh, this kid's like getting straight A's, but like, doesn't, you know, is in the hallway every day. Let's talk to her about that. Um, and then when I got to university, I was just completely like, like nobody was monitoring me none of nobody in my family has uh, ever gotten a post-secondary degree maybe some of my cousins I don't know um but no, nobody in my family has ever really achieved that so I was just totally on my own when I went to university and I didn't know how to do it because typical ADHD thing I didn't sort of like take time to prepare and like read up and figure out like what I, I was like let's just jump in with both feet so I just like registered for something started university um dropped out several times um, got really good grades in the subjects I was interested in, right? Got really good grades in the subjects I was interested in. And in the ones that I wasn't interested in, I needed to get like extensions. And I had, you know, I was like writing the paper the night before. Um, so I sort of hobbled my way through a four-year degree in like five or six years, dropping out and changing majors several several times um, and just sort of getting through it at my own pace. So I got through it. you know, I didn't burn out completely, but I definitely stopped on several occasions. (laughs) Yeah. I had a similar experience in just that I had two older brothers who did very well in school. Um, you know, were both had scholarships. One of them went to MIT and one of them went to McGill. And then I came along, my mom didn't know what to do with me. And so, because I was, I did, by the time I got into high school, I've, I've, I even remember feeling like I had an undiagnosed learning disorder, but you know, I just sort of felt like, I wasn't able to um, get the grades that I felt like I should, and 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 so I stopped going to class. I just cut class all the time, and and so my mom was always kind of like would label me like she she would say like you have street smarts, not book smarts, whatever that means. Uh, but she yeah. but her way of kind of making sense of who I was in the world compared to my two brothers, she would always say like university is not for everybody. That's okay. And like I think she was really trying to build up my confidence in a way of just saying like it's not it's not for everybody. It's true. Like you still have worth. Yeah. But I remember like feeling so damaged by that label and, you know, like feeling like I really needed to go and do this and prove myself over and over and over again. And yet at the same time, feeling incapable of doing that and now realizing, you know, like you said, like the signs were there all along. It's just been such a crazy whirlwind of looking back at all of the different ways in which it exhibited itself. What did you go to university for? Uh, I ended up going to McMaster for um, like basic humanities. And then I dropped out and actually ended up in Whistler for a year. 
nice. Um, you know, because I decided I was like, I decided, you know, university wasn't for me. And then I lived in Whistler and was like, yeah, there was actually an experience where I was working for the mountain. Um, and, and I've never skied before in my life. The only reason I was there was because I literally ran out of money in BC and didn't know where to get a job. And it was like the beginning of ski season. So I was sort of like, all right, I'll work here. And it was just this nonstop party town. And like, I remember like going to get my incredibly overpriced groceries at the one grocery store in Whistler and like trudging home through the snow and seeing these like Australian partiers or some tourists, maybe they were American, but they were like, party. And it was like a Wednesday. And I was just sort of, I had that moment of like, what am I doing with my life? Why am I here? This is not like, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I was like, I really should go back to university. Um, and I actually tried to go to UBC, but they, they wouldn't take my grades were so terrible from my first year after I dropped out that they were like, yeah, no, you, you would have to start all over again. And McMaster was the only, they were willing to take me back. So I ended up going back to Ontario and finishing and getting like a poli sci degree. And actually, because I had gone back and was like, I'm determined to do this. I did really well. I ended up on the Dean's list and I just was like, I'm really going to focus. I'm really going to like apply myself. But I've sort of talked with other guests about that idea of like, when you, when you do decide to do something, you have to uh, focus on that one thing. Like everything else has to fall away. So I had no friends. I had no social life. It just all I did was study just to prove that I could. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I like I, I took anthropology and some of the classes were so the subject matter was so interesting to me. And if I was really interested in it, I could do well. But like they have these degree requirements. And so like as part of your degree requirement, you have to take like this kind of course and that kind of course. You never know what it's going to be right? Like what it's going to actually be like until you take it. And anthropology is so weird because it's a mixture of like a, a humanities, right? Like, so like socio, like social anthropology, cultural anthropology. And then it's like also a science, like there's like biological anthropology and archaeology, which is like a bunch of numbers and graphs. So I remember I took this one course that I thought was going to be so interesting. It was about the history of like ancient Japan or something. And like it was, so there were some cool things. Like I learned about how rice came first came to Japan. Like j there used to be Japan without rice, right? And then it came down the Yangtze River and whatever. But like we, it was a lot of like um, archaeological data. So there were like all these numbers about like millions of years and like strata. And it, it was so dry that when I had to go write a paper in one of these types of anthropology classes, I just. Um, I just was like locked up and couldn't do it until like the night before. And it occurs to me now that like I could, I, what I should have done is like tried the class out and dropped it. That's why they have that date. Right. But I, so many things that I did in my twenties, I like, didn't, I, I would, I would like, I was always putting together Ikea furniture without like reading the instructions, you know, so I would jump into doing a thing without stopping to like, be like, how am I going to do this? What is the plan? I would just go, go, go. So if I signed up for a class, I'd be like, I'm not going to drop it. That's like a failure or something like I'm going to finish this class, even if I hate it, which, you know, makes no sense. But um, I definitely feel like I was never reading the instructions of life. Yeah, I have that experience with recipes. Like I start step one of a recipe before I've even checked if I have all the ingredients. And so I'm like putting stuff in bowls and the oven is on. And then I get, you know, to step three and realize that I don't have any butter. And, you know, and I'm like, there's been so many recipes that have been abandoned that way. So that's the that's the point at which I have like a total meltdown. <laughs> 
I've learned to stop doing that because I, I like get so frustrated. I'll start like throwing things. I'll be like, ah, I really wanted to make these cookies. <laughs> and I'll like lose my mind because making cookies was the most important thing in the world at that moment. Yeah. I saw a post recently about like being an angry mom and having like angry mom meltdowns. And it's like, are you actually an angry mom? Or did you just get to like one, like, are you just, con- you know, has, have 12 things happened today? And the 13th one was just the straw that broke the camel's back. And I was like, yes, I relate to that so deeply. I wanted to let you know about the brand new women and ADHD online community. So two things I hear time and time again from listeners of this podcast is a, wow, I feel so much less alone and B, I feel like I finally found my people. We have felt so alone for so long, which is why the desire to understand ourselves and make connections and feel understood is really strong in all of us. I mean, it's why I started this podcast, to find others who were experiencing life like I was. And in doing so, I have met so many guests and listeners who are just amazing, brilliant ADHD women. And now I want you all to meet each other. So that's why I've started this free online community, because I believe finding our people is an integral part of treating our ADHD. When it comes to understanding our brains and the way we tick, We do so through conversation and community. We like to talk it out and get feedback and explore ourselves and sort through the chaos and ultimately know that we are not alone in all of this. So head over to womenandadhd.com to join. It's totally free. You can look around, introduce yourself, post thoughts and questions, pontificate to your heart's content. And there's also a constantly evolving list of ADHD resources. And you also have the option at any time to upgrade, and that'll give you all sorts of exclusive content like early access to this podcast, a free copy of my audiobook, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom, as well as twice monthly live member hangouts on Zoom with me and other members where we talk about our ADHD brains and symptoms and hormones and nutrition and plenty of other life topics we obsessively ponder as neurodivergent women. So again, head over to womenandadhd.com to join us. There's also a link in the show notes. All right. I can't wait to see you there soon. Okay. So how, if you were diagnosed in your twenties, kind of what was the road that led to becoming an ADHD coach? Uh, it was a long and winding road with many hit stops. Um, so I, uh, in my twenties, I was a musician. So after I finished my degree, I was like, whatever, don't need that anymore. I'm not going to use that. <laughs> Um, and I, I never had any trouble getting a job. I primarily worked in nonprofits and fundraising um, because I'm very gregarious. Um, so I was pre- I was mostly focused on on playing music and trying to like make it as a musician, which is like not really a thing. Maybe it is for some people. It's not if you're playing the kind of sloppy punk rock that I was playing. <laughs> anyway, so I, I spent a lot of time and money um, and my and life force on just playing music. And I really kind of bur- I burned out on that in like the truest sense of the word possible. Like I was on I was on tour. Um, I had had a fight with my drummer a couple months before in the parking lot of a bar in Las Vegas. And we almost 
came to blows. Like I'm, I almost got in a fight with this guy. We were almost throwing punches for sure. And then um, my partner at the time, who's also the bass player got involved and he, and he started yelling and it was a big mess. Uh, he's a really angry guy. So if he, if he lets loose on you and he yells at you, um, you're, you're, you're probably going to quit the band. And that's essentially what happened with our drummer. Um, I'm not with that person anymore. Primarily, you know, we're not going to go to bed anyway. Um, so we, we, we drove home from Las Vegas or, or rather Los Angeles. Um, and we were like, you know, really burned out. But then a, a month later we were like, why don't we just get another drummer and keep going? So early January, we are, we're setting out on the road in this van, which is just breaking down. It's just breaking down like every, like thousand kilometers it breaks down and we have to replace the fuel pump once it caught on fire like literally caught on fire um and we had brought this guy with us who was a young fellow from our from our hometown in vancouver and um i got really sick within the first week of being on the road um in reno nevada and um by the time we got to tecate which is in mexico a couple days later i was like i was like literally broke because i was mostly i was funding the band i was out of money I was so sick. I couldn't keep anything down. And it was like a Wednesday and we like had to play the show because we needed the $60 to get to the next town. Um, and that's the point at which I was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I, this is my nightmare. Like there's, this is my nightmare. I hate being on the road with all these people, right? My partner and I were really have, we had a very, you know, tough relationship because neither of us were particularly emotionally healthy people. There were some other mental health things going on there. Um, so it was a really bad relationship. It was, you know, we were out of money. I was just sick of doing it. So again, we drove home from LA. Um, and when we got back to Vancouver, I was just like, what am I going to do? Like, that's what I thought I wanted to do. I, I literally did it until I couldn't do it anymore. And it didn't, you know, like in those movies, they say like, in the movies, right, if you try hard enough, and you like really believe and you like live your dream, and you like, put everything you have into it. It has to work out. Right. Well, I put everything I had into this band. I put every dog, every single penny that I earned for like almost 10 years went into this band. Right. I didn't have money to buy presents for my family, like at Christmas time. And I really believed that it was going to work out and it didn't. Um, and so for about a year, I was just like, like dumbstruck. Like I was like, well, that's what I thought I was going to do. And it didn't work. So what do I do? So I was working, I was just, you know, working at a liquor store or whatever. And I kept thinking like, what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do with my life? And I had, I, I didn't have a plan B because I, I was told like, that's how you achieve your dream. Like don't have a plan B. Mm -hmm. If you want it, you got to go all in. Right. So I was racking my brain and I was literally every week. It was like something new. I was like, maybe I'll be a lawyer. Maybe I'll be a real estate agent. Maybe I'll be work in senior care, right? I was trying to, I was sort of trying to Venn diagram, like, what do I like to do? What does the world need? And what can I make money doing? And there was like nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing. Like I just, ugh. so, um, so eventually what happened was, you know, um, I was trying to better manage my ADHD, you know, now that there wasn't this big, like, because when I was playing in a band, we were always picking up and leaving. We had a very unstable lifestyle. So I think for me, a lot of my ADHD symptoms weren't relevant because I was literally like living out of a backpack mm -hmm. for a lot of the time. And when I wasn't living out of a backpack, I could just hyper-focus on trying to make this band work. So with that being gone and having to do like everyday life, like pay the bills and, you know, keep the house clean, um, I started noticing a lot more issues. So I started trying to manage my ADHD and I was working at this liquor store and I had this one friend who lived nearby and he would come in. And he, I knew he had ADHD, like he was diagnosed with ADHD. So he would be talking to me about his, his problems. And I'd be like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, I'd be like, sounds like you're really emotionally dysregulated. 
right? Like we just start kind of rapping about it. And then I started posting a lot online, like, oh, like, here's what I'm learning about ADHD. And like, because I have ADHD, this and this and that. And a lot of people started messaging me on Facebook saying like, wow, like your posts really help me. Like, I think that I have ADHD or like, I know I have ADHD and like your posts really help me. So um, at that time I had a nephew who was about 10 or 11 and he started struggling and um, I wanted to hook him up with like an ADHD coach in his area, which was Calgary. I don't know how I found out about ADHD coaching at that point. I just, I had heard that ADHD coaches were a thing. So I was looking for a coach for him. And that's when I discovered that there are very, very few ADHD coaches in Canada, or at least there were at this time. Like there was only two in the whole city of Calgary. And there was like only like one in Vancouver. And I was like, Oh, maybe I could do that. Um, and so I was at the time I was pregnant. I think I was pregnant at the time. Um, and so I looked into going to coaching school, which you don't have to do, right. You don't have to go to school to be a coach. Some coaches have a very strong feeling that it's not necessary to have, um, you know, a a sort of coach training or accreditations. Um, for me, because I had done so many things, so slapdash and I had done them wrong. I was like, no, like if I'm going to do this, I got to do it right. Mm -hmm. Like I want to do training and all that. And so, um, so I, I ended up putting like all the money from my maternity leave and like most of the child tax benefit that I got the first year of my daughter's life towards paying to go to this like coach school so I could get the training. Um, and I really kind of brought in everything that I, you know, ironically, like all the fundraising and I had, I had done right. Putting myself out there sort of, which is sales and marketing. Right. So all the fundraising and then all the social media know-how that we had cultivated from being in a band um, together so that I was able to launch my coaching business and, and sort of know how to get clients. And that was that. That is fascinating. And then you're like, it. you're like, yeah, like you said, it's, it's this long and winding road that everything seems to make sense. I think about that a lot with like, I was a journalist, you know, and the only reason I was a journalist was because I joined the university newspaper and loved it. And it was the only thing I ever felt like it was the first time I ever felt good at something. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I ended up working in newspapers until I had my first daughter. And then suddenly I was like, I was terrible at my job because I had a baby and I had to go back to work after 12 weeks because I was living in New York. And and so I was like, I had to go back to work at 12 weeks. I was such so for the first time in my life, I was terrible at this job that I loved. And I was also terrible at parenting. (laughs) Like it was just like I had this total meltdown and figured it was postpartum depression. And, um, and, uh, so by the time we were ready to have another baby four years later, I was like, we, I cannot be working full time. Like we cannot be living in a city where you, it is required for me to work full time because I just fell apart. And so we left the city. We moved out like two hours outside of New York and in the boonies so that I could be a stay at home mom. But that was also incredibly miserable. (laughs) (laughs) not having a job and being a full-time mom is also, it doesn't make you, it didn't make me feel like any better of a mom. I realized that that had, you know, that overwhelming feeling of failure and motherhood had nothing to do with whether I was going to work or not. (laughs) Um, I don't remember. Why was I talking about journalism? Oh, I think it was, oh no, I know it was because I went into, I know, right. Well, and, and yeah. And now I think about like starting this podcast was, you know, really it's, it's brought out so much of my journalist past because when I left journalism and became a stay at home mom, I ended up going into health coaching. But what you were talking about with the blogging, I think is something, another reason why so many of us 
who have or why ADHDs become such good coaches. I think it has to do with that like impulsive oversharing that we tend to do, <laughs> you know, which is like yeah. it doesn't occur to me to hold back. You know, it doesn't occur to me to not talk very openly about all of my struggles. And so like for me, I was like I talk very openly about binge eating or body image or feminism or misogyny or like anything, you know, anything I'm just like ranting about today, I will rant about. And then people are like, wow, you're so brave for talking about that stuff. It's really helping me. And I'm like, oh, am I brave or am I just stupid? I don't, I'll never have the answer to that. <laughs> that should be like, that should be the like ADHD motto. Am I brave or am I just stupid? <laughs> right? Am I brilliant or am I just following through on a half cocked impulse? I know. Exactly. It, it is a total mystery because, I mean, there's so many times where I've opened my mouth about things and I've been completely, you know, I'm like, I've made a terrible mistake by talking about this openly, especially when it's like on Facebook. I, I stopped posting on Facebook because I'm just like, you know, Instagram, I don't know, different social media. I'm sure you feel this way with like all the different platforms, like different platforms are so the response you get is so different. Whereas Facebook, it's like I remember that like everybody on Facebook is like my my relatives and like people that I went to high school with like people that I don't want to know things about me generally yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I, I found it was like a good place to kind of start just like sharing my experiences but then um now that's the thing right Facebook is all people you know and then all these other platforms are not yeah or maybe right it's the real it's funny, it's funny because I'm on TikTok and so I'll have people from Facebook be like oh <gasps> I saw you on TikTok. You came up on my for you page, and I'm like, yeah, I'm on my for you time. <laughs> like, but um, it's it's funny because yeah, I was doing like a TikTok live the other day, and this person came in the room, the TikTok like live or whatever, and I recognized her name, and she was like, Dusty, is that you? Do you remember me? And I was like, yes, I'm doing a TikTok live. Talk to you later. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting thing too. I'm sure you deal with that too, which is like people from your past who kind of feel like they have access to you in a way that you don't feel like you're willing to give them? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of people on Facebook come and be like, Hey, I think I have ADHD. Like, can you help me? And, and it's different. Cause like it, sometimes it's people that I really like or that I know. And I'm like, yes, let me talk to you about this right away. And then sometimes it's like people, I'm like, I don't even know who you are because again, I was on the road for so long that I added all these people. I have all these people on my Facebook. I don't know who they are. Cause I met them while I was touring. And a lot of that time I was like, you're literally in one a different place every night, right? Um, so when those people are like, hey, I think I have ADHD, what should I do? It's not that I don't want to talk to them about it. it. I'm like, okay, this is fit. I'm like working, let me get back to you. And then of course I never get back to them. And I, I don't know, I should really go through those messages because like I do want to support those people. It's just like, I'm so busy. It's right? a I'm like, big ask. Look, man, watch my TikToks and come back to me if you still have questions. Right? Exactly. I feel like that. I mean, I get asked that too sometimes where I'm like, every once in a while, if the wind is blowing the right way, I will like drop everything and help a complete stranger on the internet and like do as much as I can in sharing resources. And then there's another time where I'm like, who the hell are you to be asking me to do all this free labor? <laughs> I get super oh, angry day, about it. The other day, person from like my long ago past was like, hey, so like, my girlfriend has ADHD and I just think that meds are like really dangerous and addictive. And like, what do you, like, I just don't know. What do you think? And I was like, <laughs> I wanted to crack my knuckles there, but I already cracked them. So it didn't work. But for dramatic effect listeners, it's me crying heavily and then cracking my knuckles. <laughs> but, um, so that I was like, I was like, you're going to come here to my Facebook 
do you know me? You're going to come here with the med shaming? Okay, we're going to talk about this. But I tried to be, I was like, you know what? This person probably just like doesn't know, you know, they're not trying to be horribly ableist. So I'm just going to, I'm going to take a measured approach to this. But I was like, facepalm emoji. <laughs> One thing I love about your TikTok videos, because that's how I discovered you, I'll be honest. Um, I discovered you on my for you page, or I think I was like, when I first was diagnosed, I was, you know, I went, I had heard TikTok was a great place for ADHD. So I had like, was following a bunch of hashtags and started, and you were one of the first people I started following. Cause I really love now in retrospect, how you walk that balance very well of like, you know, you have a very positive energy and you talk about ADHD in a very uplifting, positive way, but you're also not like ADHD is a superpower. Like, you know, there, there are some ADHD influencers who like kind of, I I think, I feel like there's a word for it where it's like doom porn or something, but it's like, you know, like really like to talk about how ADHD is a struggle (laughs) and like talk about how this is a disorder. And we really need to like talk about how hard our lives are and we need to advocate. And I I, I don't know why I'm saying that in a weird sarcastic way, because I do appreciate that idea, that concept. I mean, I do feel like advocacy is a huge part of ADHD, and, and I don't relate at all to this concept of ADHD being the superpower. Um, but I also am grateful for a lot of things in my life that I attribute to ADHD. Well, because you, you don't want to just feel like it's not like nothing's ever going to get better. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the, the, there's a sense of, you know, there are ways in which you can use, you know, use ADHD as an explanation for how you can better yourself versus like using it as an excuse or like work with your ADHD. Right. right? Yeah. Like, I don't even think it's like there. It's interesting. Cause I'm like, what I try to think like, what is my ADHD superpower? Like what are the ways in which ADHD has like made my life better? And I'm like, I don't know. Like it's hard to really say that it has without a lot of bitterness. Cause like when I think about it, like I've lost a lot of friends, you know, and I've messed up a lot of things and it costs me a lot of money. But what I can say is that it's absolutely possible to work with your ADHD to like get wherever you're trying to go. Mm-hmm. Right might look a little different than what you thought it was going to look like. But I think there's like a huge amount of relief in learning that like ADHD doesn't have to be an impediment. And, um, you know, it just, it kind of becomes more like, this is something that there's this great, um, ADHD coach that I really love. His name is Cam Gott. And he says something like, you know, like when you start to manage the ADHD better then it like becomes like the background noise. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's still, it's always there. It's the background. It's the, it's the setting, but it doesn't have to be like the main character of the play. Right. Oh, I like that analogy. The mise-en-scene. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's funny because sometimes when I talk to, when I start talking about motherhood or even pregnancy, which I know is a topic that you get asked about and talk about a lot. Like I, talk overwhelmingly about how it was a horrible experience and oh my god I struggled so much and and postpartum depression and anxiety like I talk about it in such a negative way and then I'm like it really was I mean I I love being a mom and I'm always sort of worried about the fact that like am I scaring off ADHD women from motherhood in general because I like to talk I think we should talk openly about the struggle and I think we should normalize how important it is to get help but I also feel like I don't want to scare women into thinking that they can't oh. be adults. How do you, how do you manage that? <clears throat> They're scared anyway. Like I see this a lot in 
they're one of two things, right? They're they're too scared to do it, or they're like me and they just jump. They like you know didn't read the, didn't stop to think about it, just jumped into it, and then we're like, oh god, what did I do? Um, I see a lot of people um, in in the sort of the ADHD like Facebook groups who are just saying like I would never have kids because I can't take care of myself, and that sucks, man. Like if you like, here's the thing: I people who like. Um, intentionally like childless by choice or don't want to have children like cheers to those people because um one of the most environmentally damaging things you can do is like have a child right so I absolutely like I really supportive of people who who, especially women who are like I don't want to have a kid that's cool but if you're like I would want to have a child I would love to be a parent but I'm not going to because I don't think I could manage it that breaks my heart Mm -hmm. you know what I mean that's where I really want people to know that like, come on, man, you know, I mean, I, I can't describe to anybody else's lived experience. Maybe it's true, right? Maybe for that person, it's true that they wouldn't be able to do it. But I think with like a little bit of the right supports and, and, and mindset shifts and, you know, again, getting to work with your ADHD and, and sort of switching up some of the expectations on yourself, like it's absolutely possible. And who's to say that, that, that there's not a lot that a, that a neurodiverse or ADHD parent can't contribute to their child's life, right? Like one of the things that my friends tell me really consistently is that they're often really impressed with like how much stuff my three-year-old knows because I'm always teaching her something, right? I'm always singing songs with her. I'm always like discovering things with her. You know, routine bed, bedtime routine, whole different story, right? Do I sit her down at the table to eat a meal every day? I try to at least get one meal a day at the table, but there's some days where we're like eating French fries in the car. You know, that's the thing that happens. But, um, but I have my areas of strength too, right? And that's in sort of like that playful curiosity. So she's developing in in some different ways than maybe some of her um, toddler counterparts who don't have a neurodiverse parent. And so, you know. And, and like, we know, you know, we're only now really, I think, learning a lot more about what contributes to like childhood learning that, that gets a healthy adult, right? Like we used to think it was all these different things. And now we're learning like, you know, helicopter parenting is not that good for children because children need space to like make mistakes and learn and grow. Right. Um, and you know, pr- praise without context isn't necessarily like the rules are always changing, mm-hmm. right? For like, what parenting is, um, even for people who are neurotypical. So, um, you know, the, the ways that a neurodiverse person parents may not necessarily be bad just because they're different, right? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, even with even from one child to the next, you know, my first child, we always joke about like she was our only child so we would stare at her and be like what can we do for you now what can we you don't like this food I will make you something else what can I do to make you happy and that's really kind of influenced her personality and you know the second child you're basically like you're gonna eat what we're eating bang 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 smush here you go (laughs) and they're raised in much more of this like observant neglected, you know, extension of, of the rest of the family. And that becomes who they are, you know, and that forms their personality. Neither is better or worse necessarily in terms of like what they, what, you know, like you said, it shapes who they are and what they're good at, but it's not like one is worth more or the other. Yeah. So, I mean, you're even, even like there's like all ADHD parents are not going to parent the same, just like all people with ADHD are not the same. So just when I, when I see people, you know, feeling like they can't, um, you know, have a child because they get their life, they can't get their life together. Sometimes I think it's the opposite, right? I'm like, we need urgency. We got to raise the stakes. Like if you're having trouble getting yourself out of bed and feeding yourself, have a baby, 
you will absolutely get out of bed and feed yourself because you have to, yeah. because a little bit is depending on you. You're going to shower. Oh, you're having trouble with showering. Let me give you a one-year-old. You will take any opportunity to shower. <laughs> it's true. Can't, can't do hygiene. Try having a baby. You'll be constantly asking yourself when the F can I get in the shower? Please God, let me shower. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it is so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online from the comfort of your home. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise, which might not be available locally. If you visit their website and read through their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off of your first month. Simply sign up at betterhelp.com slash women ADHD. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash women ADHD. Um, all right. So now I think you're actually my first musician, definitely my first banjo player. Um, what do you, what do you love most about your ADHD? Um, I think, so I get, I get this, um, and, and this doesn't happen for everyone. This is just like my flavor of ADHD, but I get, I get this like hyperactive energy where it feels like the world is so much fun and fun is just like waiting around every corner. Like I just get so energized and excited about things sometimes. And it could be anything, right? I could like watch a music video or a TV show or like I see a friend that I haven't seen in a while or like, I, I don't know, like maybe it's just a beautiful day outside, right? Yeah. Like I'm easily influenced, like I, I can be easily influenced to get into a bad mood, but I'm just as easily influenced to be in a good mood. And then I kind of get a little like dysregulated in the positive way. Like I get like, like joy dysregulation where I'm like too happy and too hyper. And so I feel like I have this endless capacity for fun and enjoyment. And that can, that can backfire against me. Cause if it's like a really nice day or I'm really excited to do something fun and I have to like attend to life duties, I'm like, I don't want to. But when, you know, when the stars align and there's like a free day or there's free time and there's money in the bank and there's like this excessive amount of like energy inside me, like I have the best days. And like, as a person in my thirties, you know, I, I know so many people who've just kind of like settled into this routine. It's almost like they've kind of accepted like, well, life is drudgery. And I'm like, are you kidding, man? Like every day is an adventure. Um, so I, I think that like that hyperactive energeticness still really serves me in keeping me young, I guess. Right. Which also helps with parenting a toddler. Um, and so more than anything, I think it's just, I think it's just that like the need for fun. You know, I like that. I, I feel like I get very excitable about a lot of things, too. Um, and so often I will ask myself, you know, how much have I struggled? Like, am I struggling? I don't know. Like, that's the question I often have about my ADHD, where like even about parenting, where I'm like, yeah, like whenever I see a mom who has a child under the age of I think probably four or five is when I really sort of felt like I turned a corner. <laughs> like I want to give them a hug. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, your life sucks right now. And it's going to get better. Um, 
because it did for me. But then I also sort of remember like, you know, you, the video you posted about like making everything into a song in order to remember, um, like I, it was so lovely. And I like brought back all these memories about having my kids be this certain young age. Cause now they're old enough that they're just so like over it. And they're, um, so sardonic. Um, so like, I guess it is just such a pendulum of, of feeling like, you know, on the one hand, really being like, God, yeah, like there's so much that sucks. And then on this immediately the flip of a coin and just being like, and there's so much that's amazing about it. And yeah, you're like both ways all the time. Right. I'm like, why do we all think that we have bipolar? Maybe that's why. I think someone said like someone said it best where they're like, oh, when your kid is sleeping, you just want to just want them to be awake. And then when your kid is awake, you just want them to be asleep. <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. Um, all right. So now if you could rename ADHD to something else, a uh, less problematic acronym, what would you call it? Oh, I don't know. I see this one a lot. People are always like, what, what I rename ADHD to. And I used to be like, the thing is I, I would be like, okay, this is something I used to say, don't judge me. But I, and it was mostly about myself. I would say, oh, they call it attention deficit, um, hyperactive disorder but they should call it asshole, like <laughs> deficit hyperactive disorder. Cause I feel like I'm such an asshole. Like I'm always forgetting people, you know, I'm like totally bailing on people impulsively, like blurting out rude things, like can't manage my time. So, um, like I used to say that it was like asshole disorder, but, um, that's not very positive. That's not very, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? It's well, like one of the things I often say is like, we call it attention deficit disorder, but we actually don't have a deficit of attention. We have an inability to like regulate our attention. Right. So yeah. maybe it's, I would just say, I guess, attention regulation disorder, but ARG doesn't sound very sexy. ARG. ARG. Attention regulation. Gyroscope. Gyroscope. <laughs> attention regulation gripe. Sphere. I don't know. I, I gotta, I'm gonna think of a better G as soon as we hang up the call. Let's call it ARG because that's primarily how I feel. Just ARG, right? A R G H. Then you could throw hyperactivity at the end there. Yeah. Um. All right. Yeah. I'll th we'll think of something. I like that. Yeah. It's a question. I'm I'm debating whether or not to continue asking that question because I feel like it's. I'm very. I'm always curious as to what the answers are. I have no idea what I would call it. Don't ask me. But. <laughs> Um, yeah, someone's it, always trying to rename it. I'm like, come on, guys, we have enough trouble um, remembering things. And like, you know, it was people get confused, like, oh, I have ADD. But like now, how do I know if it's ADD or ADHD? Like just the whole change from even ADD to ADHD is like confusing enough for people. Well, and not you know? only that, but I have yet to interview a woman. I mean, I think I've interviewed like 60 people at this point, I, women. And I have yet to interview a woman who didn't have the hyperactivity element just in her thinking, you know? And so like, obviously we don't relate yeah. to it. It when we think, you know, so many of the, us, myself included, we're like, yeah, I'm not hyperactive. I can easily spend days in bed. I am not hyperactive. Um, and then you start talking to them and they're just like, blah, 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 blah. See, I was diagnosed with like ADHDC, like combined ADHD. And I think that's wrong. Cause I could not spend days in bed, even when I'm tired. I wish I, sometimes I wish I could sit down for longer. <laughs> I don't think, well, I don't, um, 
be on the H. I don't think I literally spend hours on the couch or in bed, but I feel like I, I always felt like my default state is one of paralysis. And so it wasn't until my diagnosis that I realized like how much time and energy I actually was spending doing things. And so that when I was relaxing, I didn't feel guilt about that anymore. That was like recharging. It wasn't paralysis anymore. And, and it really like helped me reframe that. Um, and then I, you know, so now I'm like, of course you're recharging. You you've been up like running around since 6am doing all this stuff. Like, of course you're going to need a break at some point. You're a human being. That's going to be me at like 3pm today. <laughs> right. But I, for some reason, felt so much guilt about that state of being that like my identity focused on like, that's who I am. I am a lazy person. So I think a lot of us end up feeling that way where it's like, if we're in, if we don't have an ability to re to view ourselves as this multi-layered nuanced human being who does this and does this and, and, and has hyper-focus and also needs to recharge, then we're just sort of like, I'm lazy and I'm terrible. And that's our default. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, but I still feel like the hyperactivity part should stay in the description and in the DSM, because I think it exists for everybody in a just interesting, different ways. And I think it's, it's more important to just kind of talk about that element, like rage, you know, (laughs) Like, like rage is an element of hyperactivity that a lot of us don't talk about. Um, I have a friend, a non-binary friend who is really heavy on the inattentive type. And like, I, they used to work with me and it was like the first time that I had like sort of seen like maladaptive daydreaming or like totally like spacing out. Like sometimes I was talking to this person and I could see the gears turning really slowly. And I'm like, what, what is happening in there? Hello, like what's going on in there? And they're just like, their inner life is so rich, yeah. right? And they make these like insane connections, right? Like you, you get them talking about the right thing and they just like pull all this and you're like, whoa, you've really been thinking about this. And I'm like, so I, I definitely see that mental hyperactivity, you know, in some of my friends who are inattentive type ADHD, as well as like some of my clients for sure. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, a lot of the advocates who end up making videos, I'm fascinated by like the visual vignette element too, because I think it's so important in our, in our learning. I love TikTok. It fascinates me to no end. I don't make videos for TikTok, but I make videos in my head all day long. And I think, you know, and there's like, I'll be reading an article. Your ideas, I'll make them. Right. <laughs> like, and there's those moments where I'm like, I just created an entire video in my head. I really wish I had the time or energy to actually edit it. It's the editing that becomes the hurdle. That's why I don't do more on YouTube though, because it's, you know, I like TikTok is easy, but like YouTube is hard. Because it's so much longer, you think, or just, or that, or the editing? Editing. And like, so, like people accept on TikTok that you can like look a mess or it can be like not very well lit. Whereas like with YouTube, it has to be like, good quality, right? Which requires setup. Yeah, I guess so. I gave up on YouTube. I have to admit, like, I can't sit for a video longer than a minute or two anymore. Have you tried watching it on the, on the enhanced speed though? Yeah. I mean, that's how I get, cause I have to like all my instructional videos. Like if I'm like, how do I figure out how to do this thing? I immediately have to go to YouTube to watch the video. That's going to show me how to do this thing, but I have to watch it on fast speed. Yeah. I somehow didn't know you could do that. And my 75 year old undiagnosed father taught me that. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> the master has become the grandmaster. <laughs> 
that was an amazing development for me. Um, okay, so let's talk about the ADHD studio and your clients and kind of how people can get more of you, how people can pay you, how people can work with you. What are what are your offerings these days? Cool. Great question. Um, so, uh, so I, I coach people in a number of ways. I do one-on-one coaching as well as like small group coaching, but there, there's a little bit of like a backlog for that. There's a little bit of like a, a wait list. So, um, I always take new consultations, but I let people know, like, if you want one-on-one coaching, um, you know, if you don't mind waiting, that's fine. But if you want to, you know, work with someone sooner, I have a couple sort of colleagues that I really recommend to people for the one-on-one coaching. Um, I mean, I think I'm a great coach, definitely worth waiting for, but like, I don't want to make people wait. So I'm happy to accommodate that. Um, so I do, there's a couple of other things throughout the year. I, I tend to do like workshops and courses. So every year, once or twice, I offer a six week course called rock your ADHD, which is, um, covers all the different basics aspects of ADHD and just sort of teaching people about what they are and some, some ideas for managing them. It's not a lot of coaching. It's more just like learning, um, I do, um, I do these boot camps a couple times a year, which are like, get your life organized. Like they're really intensive, like two weekends, one week, like boot camps where it's essentially just like mega body doubling sessions. So we get on the zoom, we do like two, eight hour sessions, the first weekend, another eight hour session and a four hour session the weekend after. And throughout the week, we keep in touch about trying to get people's space and sort of like administrative messes organized. Um, So that's another one. And then um, last year I offered a nutritional coaching course in partnership with a nutritionist. And I'm thinking that I'm going to bring something like that back around again. So something more focused on ADHD and food and feeding yourself this year. So there's always these classes that I offer, but right now I sort of just like put them out there when I'm ready and, and set them up through Eventbrite. So there's not really anywhere that people can go to find out about that, but I am going to be redoing my website and putting up like a course offering for the year. So when the, when the new website is launched, people will be able to see and register in advance for courses. Um, so for most people, the best option is going to be what you mentioned, the ADHD studio. So that's a virtual space that I curate with another friend um, and coach whose name is Christy Powers. We run it together. And it's essentially like a monthly kind of subscription where Christy and I will host like different body doubling sessions for people. So if you're not familiar with body doubling listeners, I'm just going to address your listeners. Uh, It's like, you know, uh, when someone hangs out with you, well, you get something done. That's really it, right? If you find that you're able to fold laundry when your mom comes over for coffee or, you know, your friend comes over to hang out and all of a sudden you have the wherewithal to do the dishes or answer emails, that's all body doubling is. So Christy and I run body doubling sessions. We do drop-in coaching. We post accountability challenges. We connect people with each other. We, you know, we, we post content. Um, and so that's a great space for people to kind of get some like sort of ADHD toolbox skills, I call it. So it's not like coaching. You're not getting that. Like the thing about coaching is it's really intensive one-on-one attention, right? Like when I'm your coach, I'm your partner. I'm your like cheerleader. Like I'm there through thick and thin with you. I'm not there to judge you, but I'm like very intimately involved with you. And we're like planning together and we're working on your life one-on-one. Right. Um, so with this, I'm not obviously as connected to people, but I'm, I'm, I'm available, right. I'm around and I can hang out and we can chit chat and, um, you know, I can make suggestions and you can just let me know how things are going with you. And, and it's kind of all about that community experience because at any given body doubling session or, or, op, or like office hour, like dropping coaching, you know, any number of people can drop in. And so what's starting to happen is that the same, the same people are coming to the same things. They're starting to get to know each other. They're making friends with each other. Right. So you got somebody in Norway making friends with someone in Scotland and somebody in Australia. And, 
Um, so there's also that community aspect, which you do get on like TikTok and Twitter, but this is a little bit more, little bit more intimate. So you're kind of getting to see and know the same people um, who might be struggling with what you're struggling with. So I think there's also one of the things that the studio offers is a greater chance to kind of like make friends with your like, make pen pals and friends with your like ADHD buds around the world. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's a, like a subscription that people can, can pay for like once a month kind of thing. I think those intentional communities are so enriching and important for us. Um, all right. Well, anyway, I, I really appreciate it. I was so looking forward to this. So thank you. I'm, I, I'm a big admirer of your online portfolio, your work, uh, everything, all of it. So I love what you're putting out there into the world as a, as an ADHD coach and just a badass woman. So thank you. There you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is women and ADHD podcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.